Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Uh, We're going to open up our Bibles. Matthew chapter 21, if you join us there tonight. Matthew chapter 21. Amen. Can I have your attention, please? Uh, Could I have your attention, please? Hey! Did I get your attention? I hope to illustrate tonight that attention is something that we can give. And we can give it either a little bit or a lot. And in our scripture, we're going to find Jesus trying to capture the attention of a few people. Let me ask you tonight this question as we begin. How would your experience of God change if you gave him all of your attention? If you treated God like if if God showed up tonight, we would not be able to ignore him. If an angel appeared on this stage tonight, all of you would be close to death because of fear. That is something that you could not ignore. There would be a lot of things happening if an angel showed up at this altar, but I guarantee you one thing that would not be in the house is boredom. You would have your entire attention and focus upon that angel. If Jesus showed up tonight and he began speaking to you, how many know? That it would be impossible.
impossible to ignore the things that Jesus would be saying. Is that true? The Bible says he spoke as no man would ever speak. I don't claim to be Jesus tonight, but when we come into the house of God, there is, there are, I've noticed that there are some people who are able to fixate and focus their attention on what God is trying to say, and there are others who are fixed, fixated and focused on things that are not happening in the church service. In the scripture, we are going to take a look at an, an event that took place during the Holy Week. This is the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And after he enters Jerusalem, the very next day he goes into the temple. We've read about this in our recent Bible reading program. And this is actually the second time that it happens. He, he cleansed the temple early on in his ministry. And in the short time that he has been preaching the good news, three years have passed nearly, and it appears that those money changers and those scoundrels and those den of thieves that he had driven out before, they had hmm, slowly but surely crept their way back into the temple. And so before he goes to the cross, Jesus goes back to the temple once again, and this is uh, the account that we read of him returning once again to cleanse the house of prayer. This is what it says in the New Living Translation, Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. This is not the typical Jesus that you see, the friendly one that uh, invites little children to hang out with him. No, this is, a, this is an angry Jesus, isn't it? We don't see this Jesus quilted on pillows. We don't see this Jesus on bumper stickers. And yet this is still our Lord and Savior, isn't it? This is still the true biblical account of his life. Jesus gets ticked off. And there's a reason why I'm going to share with you in a few moments. Verse 13, he said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame then came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders were indignant. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I need your spirit. I need your guidance tonight. I need you to help me to deliver this message, God, not in the strength of my own flesh, but God, in, in the power of your Holy Spirit tonight. Lord, that there would be ears to hear this message, that there would be an attention fixated upon your word tonight that would transform our hearts. And we thank you for the work that you are doing in your temple tonight. God, the work of cleansing and purification in our hearts. And we believe you, God, to move in all that you are doing, in Jesus' mighty name, God's people would say. This is a message I've titled, Attention, Please. I believe that this is a story of Jesus trying for perhaps the last time on earth to get the attention of the religious leaders that were working there in the temple. Jesus, in his kindness, in his forbearance, in his patience, he has one more opportunity 
to crack into the, the, the crevice of the hearts of these, uh, of these stubborn religious leaders. He is making one last shot to try to soften their hearts by coming back to the temple for a second time. Aren't you glad that Jesus enters the temple? Aren't you glad that, you know, throughout the ministry of Jesus, if you read it carefully, there is no group of people that Jesus has harsher words for than the scribes and the Pharisees. It is this group of people that he calls them names. He calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. He calls them uh, like uh, like a, a whitewashed tombstone that you are uh, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside filled with dead men's bones. Those are some harsh words. That's some harsh language that he spoke, and he reserved that type of language not for the sinners. He didn't speak to the the, uh, the the prostitutes that way or to the tax collectors. He didn't speak to the simple people who needed healing. He didn't speak to any of them that way. But to the religious leaders and to the Jews, the Pharisees, those who were, uh, who were uh, spending their lives trying to please God, it was them that Jesus reserved this harsh language. You know, at the end of his ministry here, it's the last week of his life on earth, and I am amazed, actually, that Jesus takes the time to go back to the temple. He didn't have to do this. He did it one time already. He made his point. And yet he feels it important once again to demonstrate his love, his compassion, to go and minister in the temple once again. Why, why do you feel that Jesus did that for a second time? I believe tonight it is because Jesus cares about his house. He cares about his temple. He could have just bypassed this whole event. He could have gone to the cross. He could have done the work of salvation. And he could have never thought about the temple a second time. But he didn't do that. He made time on this holy Monday to go back to the temple. What does this tell us about the character of our Lord? In verse 12, Jesus entered the temple. That is because tonight the temple is not a throwaway. It is not something to be ignored. It is not something to be abandoned. Even though there was corruption, even though there were people seeking selfish gain, even though there was people there for all the wrong reasons, Jesus is still concerned about his temple. That was a good place to say amen, Pastor. Do you know why? If Jesus cares about the temple, why does it matter to you? Well, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it tells us, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? The Old Testament temple is a picture of the redeemed heart of man. This is good news. What does this tell us tonight? If it's true... That when you're saved, that your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, that means God is interested in you. That Jesus doesn't leave you to your own devices. That Jesus is not going to leave you nor forsake you. 
And even when we allow some corruption, even when we allow some bad decisions to take place, even when there gets some bad influences in our hearts, Jesus is committed to come and clean the place up. Isn't that good news? There is also another picture in the New Testament that points directly to the temple of the Old Testament. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. We know that we do not have a physical temple. The Jews have not rebuilt the temple for these 2,000 years. And yet in the, New, in the New Testament community, in the body of believers, we have something called the assembly. And when God's people come together, even only two or three gathered together in the name of Jesus, he says, I am committed to be there with you. That is good news tonight. This is why we have a church. A church is designed not to exalt the name of any pastor or the name of any uh, particular uh, theological belief tonight. Uh, We have doctrinal beliefs. We have theology. We have those things. But the purpose of the church is so that people can come together, just like they did in the Old Testament, to meet with God. We have a fundamental faith that God does things and Jesus will do things for us when we are in church that he doesn't do when we are alone. Did you know that? Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, we know that that has a personal application. That you can be all by yourself on a deserted island, and if you, uh, if you pray, Jesus is there with you. Is that true? Right? If you are saved, you're right with God, you're still the temple of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is with you, even if there is not another human soul for a hundred mile radius. However, this message was spoken in context of the body of Christ. He's not just speaking to one person. He is speaking to his disciples. And he says, lo, I'm with all of you, even to the end of the age. There is also a corporate application. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews tells us in verse 25 that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Why is that? Because here in the community of faith, in the church body, we have what is the New Testament version of the Old Testament temple. We come together that Jesus is concerned about what happens in the church. Why? Because the church is his bride. The church is his body. Now, Jesus, of course, he's concerned about what happens down there at the city council. He's concerned about what happens uh, down there at the sports uh, recreation center. But if Jesus is going to point his attention anywhere, where does he go first? He goes to the church because he says, this is my house. This is the place that represents me to the rest of the world. And that's why the Bible tells us that judgment begins first where? In the house of God. And so, if Jesus has some harsh language and some harsh rebukes, do you suppose that Jesus goes down to the prostitute's house first? Do you suppose that he goes down to the drug dealer's house? No, no, no. 
Let us not uh, let us not deceive ourselves tonight when Jesus comes to begin turning over some tables. When Jesus begins to braid a whip of cords, you know where he does that? In his house. He does that to bring correction to us who are his his people so that we can be cleansed, purified and become fruitful and effective for the world around us. And so already we have a wonderful gift from God that Jesus decided to go back to the temple. This is why we come to church. I mean, hopefully, this is why you come to church. You don't just come to see my beautiful face. You come here tonight because you want to have an experience with God. If you're coming for any other reason, it's the wrong reason tonight. I'm glad you're here. But what we ought to be doing in church is saying, Lord, I want you to come into this temple, into this temple, and then I want you to cleanse this temple. That we ought to be coming to seek God's presence and God's powers. You know, he didn't have to do this. I I, I wonder, when's the last time that you considered what an incredible privilege it is that we have to enjoy the presence of a resurrected Savior in every service. Is that worth anything to you? That Jesus said, I'll be with you. He didn't have to visit us. He doesn't owe us anything. He already did the work of salvation. And yet, we have a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Wednesday night service here in the potter's house, and Jesus said, I'll be there too. If you be there to worship me, if you be there to serve me, if you be there to seek me, then guess what? You will find me. That's an incredible privilege tonight, one that you should never take for granted. Jesus rebuked the people of Israel, and he, he uh, in Luke 19, verse 44, he is speaking about how the temple is going to be destroyed in a very short amount of time. He says, your children with you to the ground, they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus rebuked the people of Israel because here's the Messiah standing in front of them, healing the sick, raising the dead, breaking the chains, opening the prison doors, delivering people uh, who were... uh, Uh, possessed by demons he is there speaking and revealing the kingdom of god to them and what do they do ah just a carpenter from nazareth can any good thing come from nazareth i got better things to do with my life jesus says about this generation that they did not know the time of their visitation i wonder will jesus rebuke anybody here for not knowing the time of your visitation I have experienced in life that there are times that God will visit me. There are times that God will deal with me. And if I don't get my heart right in those times, God will say, okay, you can stay the way you are if you want in your funky attitude. Okay, dragoon, if you want to you continue on in your bad, bad decisions, that's fine. I'll come back around uh, when things get worse. You know, there are times, there are seasons where God visits you. And if we do not take advantage of those times, if we do not respond to God in those times, many times we will miss a season of life. We'll miss God and we'll pay a consequence for that. Thankfully, 
it's only a season. He'll come back around maybe when our hearts are a little bit softer. But the point tonight is that we ought to treat every opportunity in the house of God as something that is special, something that is holy, something with reverence and respect. Why? Because this is the assembly that he has chosen to visit. Jesus has chosen to visit this place, not the sporting arena, not the political rally, not the schoolhouse, not the jailhouse, not the White House. He says, my house, the place where my people are called. Now, if there are a group of believers in any of those places, they can come together for a prayer meeting. And guess what? Jesus will show up there, too. But when the Bible says that after his crucifixion, the the, the first day of the week, they were assembled behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. And as they were there praying, what does the Bible say? Jesus appeared among them. What's the point tonight? The point is that we ought not treat the assembly as something that is uh, a lower uh, priority. We ought not treat the assembly of God. We should not forsake the assembly. If your job is important to you, how many your your job is important to you? Why? Because your job pays your bills, right? If your job is important to you and Jesus doesn't show up there, Shouldn't the assembly be at least as important as your job? And even when, well, people say, well, you know, there's problems in churches. There's a bunch of hypocrites in those churches. And I've said this before, but it's a good illustration. If you ever go to the gym, you don't find people going to the gym and they they walk out saying, I ain't ever going to that gym again. Why? I've seen some fat people in there. Bunch of hypocrites. Well, yeah, you know why fat people go to the church? Because they're trying to get better. And thank God that they are. The reason we come to church is because we have some problems. We have some hang-ups. We have some habitual sins that we're dealing with. And yes, please have patience with me as I am getting closer to Jesus. We ought to rejoice that people who are hypocrites are coming to church. At least they're coming. At least they're trying even when there is a mess in the church, and maybe especially when there's a mess. Jesus visited his temple for the second time when there was money changers in there, scamming and scheming, triangle, pyramid schemes happening on, in every corner. They would come, people who were earnestly and honestly trying to make a sacrifice, but they came, you know, you couldn't travel with your goat or your cow so they would bring their money. And then the, the, these guys who were at, at the, in the temple gates, they would exchange the money. But guess what? They get their little cut off the top. And by doing so, they were pulling a scam. And Jesus said, not in my house. But aren't you glad that Jesus still visited his temple even when there was a mess in there? This is his commitment. He has not abandoned his church even when his church is, a, is messy. So what does Jesus do when he's visiting the temple? Number one, he drives away the thieves. He drives away the thieves. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. I didn't get no amen, Sabin. What happened? Leviticus 19.35. 
You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, width, or volume. This is obvious in the law, right? God says, don't be stealing. Don't be cheating people. Proverbs 11.1, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. A just weight is his delight. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul says that thieves are listed right alongside covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 4.28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has in need. My question in our scripture, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of They were stealing. My question is, who were they stealing from? Now, we know these money changers, they were ripping off the people who came honestly and earnestly to give their sacrifices and worship God. Is that true? They came honestly seeking to sacrifice, and when they changed the money with these guys, they were getting shortchanged. In reality, who was the one getting shortchanged? Who was getting a lesser sacrifice because of the money changers' thievery? It was actually God, wasn't it? It meant that after they go and exchange their money, that they actually had less value to purchase a sacrifice. That means when it comes time to go to the temple, these people have a smaller sacrifice than they would have had without the money changers. Are you following me? And so who's the real one being robbed? It's God. God was the one that they were stealing from. Yes, through the people, through the, through the exchange rate and all this, but it was God, the one who was being stolen from because the sacrifice that he received was less than what they would have given of their own accord. Are you all with me still? They were stealing from God. They were stealing his sacrifice. There are other ways to steal tonight. You know, pickpockets aren't the only thieves in the world. Is it possible that we have kleptomaniacs in the house tonight? Is it possible that the potter's house can become a den of thieves? I was talking to Patrick before the service. I told you I was going to talk about you. So here's your warning. Patrick told me that His dad was a big Randy Travis fan, and uh, he didn't like country music, though. So his dad dragged him along to a concert, and he said, the whole time I was there, I had my hands over my ears, because I like rap music, not country music. That's what you told me, right? Did I say that correctly? Good. Now, here's my question. Do you suppose that that seat that your dad paid for that somebody else could have sat there and enjoyed that concert? Probably. And so you were taking the place, you you were wasting that space. Uh, Unfortunately, you took the seat, you took the ticket that somebody else could have sat there and they could have had the best time of their life. But there you were. You know, NBA playoffs are, are in season right now. And it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing for me to see that, you know, smartphones have done a, a number on the human race. It's an amazing thing 
Th- these are the playoffs, man. This is like semifinals. These are the best of the best now, right? The, the final eight teams that are contending for the championship. This is some good basketball happening right now. But you look at the sidelines. You look at the sidelines when you're watching these games. I, I, sometimes I catch them. And you know what you see? On the front row, half court. What are they doing? Do you know how many thousands of dollars courtside seats are? Especially for the playoffs. And not only that, it is the finest players on the finest teams. And what are they doing? TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat. Who knows what they're doing? We know that they're not watching the game. What is happening here? It is a form of theft. Isn't it incredible that you can go to see the very best game that the NBA has to offer and not be impressed? Wow. Now, I know that this never happens in a church service, but just in case it does, I'm not talking to you here tonight, just in theory. How long does a church service last? Maybe uh, 90 minutes, right? It's about an hour and a half, uh, unless, unless pastor's preaching really good. Then it lasts 60 minutes. No. In those 90 minutes, from the time that the service starts and we sing together until the final prayer where we say, in Jesus' name, amen, how many of those 90 minutes are you actually giving your full and undivided attention to what God is trying to say to you. I mean, not you, but some person out there. Is it possible that we haven't given all 90 of those 90 minutes the full and proper attention that Jesus deserves? You came here tonight because you said, I want to worship and I want to hear the word of God preached. Let's see, it's now 7.58. That means we are 58 minutes into this service. And some of you have spent only about 10 of those minutes actually paying attention. I'm, I'm talking to the guys that are out there. Hey, guys, this one's for you. How is it possible that we can be an hour into the service and some of us have been spending 30 of those minutes, 40 of those minutes, thinking about or paying attention in our mind to something that is not in this room right now. Is that even possible? This is a form of theft. You might not think of yourself as a thief. You might not take money that doesn't belong to you when you see it laying on a desk somewhere. But how, how often are we so willing to steal from God what rightfully belongs to him, his attention, and his worship in the house of God? Jesus said, my house has become a den of thieves. Why? You're stealing from God. Can I tell you tonight, this is why, in theory, this is why we have ushers. The ushers are, the, the job of the usher is hopefully, to minimize distractions in the church. Why? Because when there are distractions, it is possible to steal people's attention from what God is trying to say, not Pastor Adam. This is not about me or my ego. 
But when God is trying to speak and when you are being a distraction, you are stealing not just other people's attention. You are stealing what God could possibly do in somebody else's life. Are you hearing me tonight? This is why you shouldn't be getting up and wandering around during the service, especially when God is moving. If I have to stand up here and talk for 45 minutes, you can hold your bladder for 45 minutes. You can hold your gas for 45 minutes. Please. This is why we teach our children that they shouldn't be looking at phones during the service. Shouldn't we teach our kids not to steal from God? Not to steal attention that belongs to him? Don't you want eventually your child to learn how to pay attention in church? So why are you training them to ignore what God is trying to say? Okay, I'll get through this very quickly. Come on. It's almost over. How can you tell if your behavior in church is stealing or not? Well, good rule of thumb. If your boss caught you doing that, would you be embarrassed? If your boss walked by, the one who's paying you for your time, and he saw you on the video camera playing playing Fortnite for 30 minutes, would that be acceptable? Probably not. While you're supposed to be, you know, working and giving your time for uh, a trading that for a paycheck, probably not good to spend an hour uh, on Snapchat, right? Or on Facebook? Does anybody use Facebook anymore? Then why is that acceptable in the house of God? Why is it acceptable when God is trying to speak to people and trying to speak to you? If your boss caught you in the back room of your workplace taking a 20-minute nap while you're on the clock, is that okay? Would you keep your job if he found you taking a nap on purpose? Then I ask you, why is it acceptable Okay, I better move quick. Hallelujah. Stealing from God. Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Pastor Mitchell, love it. He used to say, yes, a man will rob God. And then he'll say, amen, hallelujah, in church. We are stealing time and attention that rightfully belongs to him. What would happen tonight if we would truly give not only our time and our attention, but our heart for these 90 minutes per service. What would happen in your life if you, not again, this is not about me or my ego. This is about listening for the voice of God saying, God, I just want to hear from you. I just want to know what you have for my life. I just want to know what you're trying to tell me. I want to know if there's a table set up in my heart that you're trying to turn over. I just want to hear your voice, God. What would happen if we went into the prayer room before the service? and spent a solid 30 minutes crying out to God, what would happen? Would that be a valuable use of your time? There is a spiritual law that cannot be broken. Listen carefully. Just like every thief. Have you ever had somebody steal something from you? After they steal something, what's the next thing they do? They run away. I had a guy... In Bulgaria, I was trying to help him. A guy was living on the street and um, invited him to come and stay on the couch for one night. And he did. And we, you know, gave him dinner, gave him a nice couch, pillow, blanket to sleep on. He was happy as a clam. We woke up in the morning. He had taken 
his blanket, and his sheet. He had tied them together into a rope. We lived on the second floor of this apartment complex. He had tied it to a post on our balcony and used it to climb down during the night. Why? Because I accidentally left my wallet sitting out. He took my wallet, took my money, and what's the next thing he did? He ran away. And the next time I saw him was a couple months later. And we, we locked eyes with each other. Now, I want to tell you, I was truly not angry. I had a heart of compassion for this guy. I, if, if it had been up to me, I would have looked him in the eye, shook his hand, and said, Brother, I know you must have been going through some hard things. I forgive you. No problem. Would you come back to church? We want to pray with you. But do you know what really happened when we locked eyes? He ran away. The person that you steal from, you will also run away from. And when you are taking the time and the attention that rightfully belongs to God, when you are taking that from him, the next thing that you always do, there will be separation. Jesus cast the den of thieves out of the temple. He says, not in my house. You might be able to sit in church service, but your heart, how's your heart? At the very same time that Jesus is casting out the thieves, he is also healing the broken. Look at verse 14. The blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Why? Because in the same temple where all the same mess is happening, you know what? There are actually people there who really need Jesus. In the midst of this correction, this, uh, this rebuke, in the midst of the anger that Jesus is expressing, there is also, from the same Jesus, compassion and ministry and miracle-working power for them. Can you imagine? It's the same church service. In the same church service, Jesus is so ticked off that he's casting people out. And on the very next breath, he's praying for those who are blind and healing them. I've been to some church services like that because this is what Jesus is supposed to do. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. Jesus read the Scripture. In Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of the prison, to those who are As we close, I want you to think for just a moment. The results of Jesus' ministry. Number one, the thieves were expelled. Number two, it said the children came worshiping him. Number three, the Pharisees saw all all of this, and they were enraged. This was the final straw for them. Jesus, who does he think he is? All the little children were worshiping him as if he's God, and they couldn't stand for this. It was this that finally uh, tipped the scales, and they began to seek a way to destroy Jesus in that moment. They're enraged. The point of all this, this happened on the same day. Nobody remains the same. The presence of Jesus will either push you away or pull you in closer. There's no in-between. When you come to church, you will either get closer to or further away from the presence of God. When you worship, when you study your Bible, 
depending on the condition of your heart, you will either become closer to Jesus or you will be repelled further away. Jesus has a very potent ministry. His ministry will either draw you in like a magnet, but you know, you flip a magnet over, it also has the power to repel. This is exactly what Jesus did in the temple. And this is what he's doing here in our service. Some of you, uh, some of, it's possible that there's somebody here who hears a message like this and say, who does pastor think he is, man? I don't want to listen to that. Let me find a different church. It's possible. Or if, if your heart is tender towards God, you say, is it me? I love when Jesus is sitting around the table. The final, the last supper, he's there with his disciples and he makes a prediction. He says, one of you is going to betray. Don't you love the, the disciples? In this moment, they're humble enough to look at each other. Is it I, Lord? Is it me? Is that me, Lord? I don't want to deny. I don't want to betray. They begin to question their own intentions, their own motives. Instead of becoming hard-hearted, and become, instead of getting proud and puffed up, oh, no, I'll be with you to the end. They all begin to question, is it me? I pray that that would be the spirit of every church service as we sit in our chairs. Lord, is it me? This service, this message, yeah, it might be good for somebody else to hear, but first of all, let me, let me think about me first. Can I tell you, the messages that I preach, I have to preach them to me first before I can preach them to you. There is no such thing as maintaining status quo in the kingdom. You're either getting closer or further away. You are either either helping somebody next to you to get closer or you're pushing them further away. In every service you have the opportunity. Jesus is here. Sometimes he's kicking a few people out. Other people he's drawing them in. And in every service he's doing both at the same time. It all depends on the condition of your heart. Are you in the den of thieves? Or are you like one of these little children? All your heart's desire is just to worship God and to know what he has for you. My prayer, this would not be a den of thieves, but it would be a house of prayer. The thought of the prayer. What is prayer? The most simple explanation is a connection between heaven and earth. Like Jacob, when he saw the ladder. And on this ladder connected to heaven, there were angels ascending and descending. It's a picture of prayer. It means a connection with something bigger than yourself. Jesus says, in my house should be called a house of prayer, a place where you can connect with God and where God can connect with you. My prayer tonight is that we would all grow a little bit closer to him, that we would be able to hear his voice, and that we would be able tonight to receive whatever he has for us. Let's bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes in prayer. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.